Okay, so continuing on, again, to repeat, and repeat often, Peter said, I've done these things to remind you always of what I've been teaching. Always ensure that you have a reminder of these things. So he has at least those two epistles to tell us about these things. It's believed the Gospel of Mark, which he was a relative of Peter and Barnabas, it believes he got much of his stuff from Peter. Some people wanted to call it the Gospel of Peter. But Mark was there as a young teenager uh, in the beginning when all of the 70 were sent out. So he was, seemed to have been involved in all of this. So much of that may have been from his knowledge. But I'm sure he got things from Peter. Peter was not led to write a gospel. The Lord knows what he's doing. And Paul states, in the end of the age, perilous times. Well, we're entered into that. A dangerous time is what it means. More warfare. Fewer being saved. Those who have true Christianity are falling away. Mm -hmm. False ministers and teachers and prophets. The cares of this life take in first place instead of the love and duty to God. That's how people are lured away. I know people, uh, Christians, that sometimes listen to certain teachers, and I've said, well, you know they're a heretic, don't you? Oh, yeah, but he has some good stuff to say. I said, well, you keep listening to and you could be lured away. I said, it only took one mushroom to be thrown in the pot that made the pot poison. All the vegetables didn't mean nothing once the poison was put in there. So if you listen to a false teacher, knowing he's false, you're opening yourself up to spirits, and they will lure you away. They'll deceive you. You'll think you're smarter, but the demons have been around a while. If you know someone's a false shepherd, of course he's going to say good things. The devil said the angel, Paul said the angel comes, the devil comes as an angel of light. He appears to be good at times. He'll use scripture. And he can teach, uh, false teachers can teach some truths. Don't mean everything is false. But if you're guilty of false teaching, Daniel teaching, James said if you are guilty of one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So if you are in error and it's a foundational doctrine, then you're a false Christian, a false teacher. And you have no business listening to these people. You study the word. You stay in the word. If you don't have anybody else, you stay in the word. It will instruct you, and the Spirit will guide you. I won't mention their names. Two or three ministers, and I've supposedly, hopefully, been in the Lord for 55 years. In the first few years, there was two or three well-known Christian evangelists and ministers through the whole country. And when I listened to him, the Spirit said, don't listen to him. And I had nothing to base it on. But I obeyed the Spirit. And then later on, I figured out why he didn't want me listening to him. They were teaching false, undermining Scripture and twisting Scripture and calling God's prosperity was nothing but covetous materialism and greed. And others given a false license to sin for people. Oh, you're saved and you can never lose yourself. These are doctrines of demons. And the Spirit, as a baby Christian, kept me from some of them. And I obeyed my conscience. 
and then later he gives you. So he don't always tell you why. You have to learn to follow your conscience in these things until the word instructs you or explains to you what's going on. So people should not willingly listen to a false shepherd. They say, well, I'll just take the good. Well, you're going to be deceived. And he hopes you'll do that. And that's how he lures many away. And they still think they're Christians when the majority, the vast majority of ministers in pulpits across America are servants of the devil, but they don't even know it. They're not ministers of God. They've compromised God's word and principles. They put their denomination and their book of order before the word of God, the same as the Pharisees did. And Jesus said, how can you escape the damnation of hell who lay aside the word of God for your traditions? So we need to get back and let the word of God be a judge of these things, okay? Look at 2 Timothy 3, 7. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that's the majority of professing Christians. They think they're learning something, and they're not even born again. They're not even following the Lord. They're living their own life and mixing some religion with it. And they're not able to discern because the demons deceive them. They don't want the spirit of truth. They want what they want and they get what they want, okay? They'll get lying spirits. Always learning, never able to come to the knowledge because the Holy Spirit doesn't give it to them. And they resist the truth when it comes to them. They don't want to hear it. Well, that's too hard. I don't like that. I go to church. People have told me, I go to feel good. I said, well, uh, you might as well go to a baseball game or go listen to an opera. It'll give you as much as you're going to get. Uh -huh. You should want the word of God, and it corrects, instructs, it's negative, it's positive. But when you determine what you want, you cease getting anything from the Lord because he's not interested. He don't give half troops. They want to feel good. They want to find their own life and have God rubber stamp what they're doing. And they're going to be deceived because he don't play the game with them, okay? And he won't give them the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. He watches what they do. And then when his spirit tries to convict their conscience, they resist it, and they start fighting against it. And so he backs up. So people are responsible for what they do. Not able to discern the spirit because they do not follow Christ, his word, and his will. Thus the Spirit keeps the truth from them. Professing Christians will with their minds study and remember lots of Scripture. Yet the Holy Spirit does not give them spiritual understanding or wisdom. They're never able because they're not born again. They're doing it all with their human mind and will. And they think because they know Scripture and can quote Scripture, they're spiritual. When most of them come out of seminaries, they've come out a spiritual cemetery. I've known many and talked to them, and people I knew years ago. And every one of them, except for maybe one exception, come out of seminary, they were worse off as a Christian than when they went in. Because they give them all kinds of vain philosophies and their slant of what they think is important, 
and they come out with less faith than when I went in. Nowadays, we have the Word of God. We have all the aids we need. We're not dumb, ignorant people. Back in Paul's time, many people couldn't read, but most of the Jews could, and many in the Roman Empire, but they weren't the scholars we are. We would be considered scholars if you measured up with most of those people, and yet there are few spiritual, percentage-wise, than it was back then, okay? So as the Christian studies the Word, the Spirit will give understanding if they are following Him. Now, see, many people study the Scripture, and many Christians at times, and they labor and study, but they're not obeying the Lord in their personal life, so it's vain. They can be deceived. Oh, I've, I've met good teachers that know the Word of God, and they're backslidden. They've been living in adultery for three years. I've talked to one, and he was a sound teacher. So what he acquired in the past, he retained. But it didn't matter who listened to his teachings that were rightly handled. He wasn't going to get nothing from God. He's going to get judgment. God can honor his word through anybody if it's the sound word of God. But they get nothing, and they'll get punished in the end for being false to God. And then when they see people responding, they think it sort of justifies their lifestyle. Their spirit is deceived. And I've had people argue with me, living in gross sin and knowing it, and still telling me they're a Christian, they're just not following. I said, you're deceived. The spirit, the demon spirits already deceived you because you're lost. And Paul said, you practice those things, you're not in the kingdom. How can you enter the kingdom? if you're not a Christian. So if you can't enter the kingdom, it means you're not a Christian. Oh, that disturbs them because they've been taught by false shepherds that God loves them unconditionally and they're saved no matter what they do. Well, they've been lied to and they will stand speechless at the day of judgment and when they're cast into the lake of fire, they'll understand what they got and they deserve what they got. But the devil and spirits deceive people. People deceive them on selves because they don't want the truth. So we've said before, knowledge without doing, hearing without working is vain. Okay? So don't study the Word of God if you have no intention of putting it into practice. Don't study the Word of God if you're living in gross sin. It'll just be used to judge you more severely. He's not interested. When a person gets into gross sin, a Christian or non-Christian, God's not interested in anything about them. He's interested in repentance. He ain't interested in nothing else. He don't care what they know. Under the old, the prostitute, the thief, the wicked person under the law was not to give gifts. God said their gifts are an abomination. They insult him. They try to soothe their conscience. Many people do that today. They give money at this and that, but they continue in their evil. And they think somehow their good and bad are going to, the goods go out with their bad. No, they're going to be surely shocked because the evil tree cannot produce good fruit. The whole heart's wrong. They're not following the Lord. What they're doing is not by the Spirit of Christ. It's by their own self-effort. That's the works of the Pharisee. That's the works of Catholicism. 
all of these outward things without a heart change. That's what most Protestants do, most professing Christians. But it ain't going to cut it at Judgment Day when God will reveal everything. So again, I tell people often, don't study the Word of God if you have no intention of putting it into practice or obeying it. Knowledge alone puffs up. It produces pride, glorying in oneself and the deeds they're doing. John called it the works of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He said, I'm not of the Father. If these things are in you, he said, the Father is not in you. That's the pride of life. And the Father's not into that, okay? Shows you they're not following Christ. They're still doing what they want. Okay, the double-minded and the carnal will not get wisdom from God. We need wisdom and we need help to live this life of Christ. We have to be yoked to him. We're a branch. And so without him, he said, you can do nothing. We can do nothing of any spiritual value without Christ in it. And Christ is not going to produce any kind of fruit without us. The fruit is the combination. It's Christ in us. We yielding, being yoked. He is joined to the Lord as one spirit. We listen to him and follow him, and we don't fight against him in these things. But you cannot be yoked to someone if you keep fighting against it. And that's what a lot of professing Christians do. Okay, James, and we may get off, but that's fine. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he's going to explain, he will reproach you if you're asking for wisdom and you're living in disobedience. He's not interested in giving you anything. He wants you to repent and get right, okay? But let that person ask in faith without doubting. Mm -hmm. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. A person doubts because often he's in sin. He doesn't have faith and assurance. Something's wrong and his conscience bothers him. And it's hard to believe God and ask for anything when you're in that state. And then he tells you something very plainly that people like to skip over. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So if you're not going to walk in the Lord and obey him and try to do what he pleases in his will, don't ever think God's going to give you anything. People think, well, they'll ask for this and that. He ain't interested. Uh, he's interested in holiness and people following him. Everything else is not that important. And many professing Christians and some Christians, they're asking for foolish earthly things that God's not into. He could care less. They're not content with their life and God's light, and they're getting caught up in the world, the cares of this life. And they pray for this and pray for that, and he don't answer them. Or he lets the devil give them what he wants to give them. And that will eventually lead them astray. So wisdom, you have to ask God. So the Christian has to pray for wisdom and knowledge, how to apply. But again, he has to be 
right before the Lord. His conscience cannot be disturbing him. So if you go and pray and your conscience bothers you because you've done something that you've not stopped or you've not made something right with someone you wrong, you're wasting your time, okay? That scripture people forget is that if your heart does not condemn you, you can ask what, that's your spirit, your conscience in there. You can ask what you will and you know you'll have the answer. See, the knowing is faith and assurance. But if your conscience condemns you, you have no business asking God for anything but forgiveness because he's not interested and he's not going to answer it. And yet you hear professing Christians always asking God and yet they live a wicked lifestyle. And they wonder why God doesn't answer their prayers. Isn't that astounding? So he says, what, if your conscience is wrong, You'll get nothing from God if you're doubting, you're unstable, you're up and down, back and forth. Uh, that's lukewarm and carnality. It means you're not consistent. You've got to be stable to some degree. And some people want to get right with God and immediately, now I want this God and I want that. Uh-uh. Many times he tests and lets it go on a long time. And sometimes he says, no, I don't care to answer that. It's not my will. Get on with something else. See, people like to trick God or bargain with God or do something good and then God will answer my prayers. Well, it doesn't work that way. They find out soon enough, okay? Verse 14, uh, we taught on the reading, exhorting, and teaching. Now, 14 changes somewhat. Paul is telling Timothy, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance, and the laying on the hands by the presbytery, the clergy, or the, we call them today, the elders, the spiritual elders. So what happened was when they were praying for Timothy uh, and the elders, they recognized his gifts that uh, God was doing, and Paul prophesied over him and pronounced these gifts that encouraged him. He was an evangelist and a teacher. Later on, he was basically doing the work of an apostle. But he was called for that. And the elders of the churches, the local gatherings, they recognized him as being this. And so they commissioned him. But many people have hands laid on him. It's just empty hands on empty heads because they're not spiritual. They're not godly. They were elected by man. But God decided, I can't approve this. People are put in positions when they're not qualified as far as God is concerned, okay? So as we see in verse 14, and we haven't progressed far, but I'm in no hurry to race through Scripture. If we have to spend a whole lesson on one verse, that's fine. So Paul is informing Timothy not to forget what happened, to stir up the gift. Evidently, the Christians' ministry and gifts can be slack. They can be encouraged. They can be let go of the person's responsible for these things, the individual. So he's saying, stir this up. He's saying, don't neglect it. Don't forget it. You've got to do this. God's called you. And when God calls you, you're responsible. And you'll be held in great accountability if you don't do these things. See? With greater ministry comes greater privilege spiritually, 
but comes greater responsibility. So many people want uh, something more and they're not faithful to what they already have. God has no intention of giving them anything. They want it for vainglory. They want to be a teacher, an evangelist, so people admire them. It's the pride of life. Oh, I'm doing it for the glory of God. No, you're not. You're doing it for the glory of yourself, and you're mixed, and that's double-minded. So those who are gifted and called by God, they will understand their responsibility, and then they're going to answer to God for how they handle these things. Okay, And there will be a corresponding reaction from God. When people backslide, God often... He takes the gifts away most of the time, and he takes Christ away if they continue in their wickedness. And some lose these gifts and ministries, and sometimes they're not restored. And when they come back to the Lord, God gives them something else. That's his business. They get second, third best because they fail. And some things can be restored, and some things he doesn't see fit to. That's all within his hands of what he's going to do with our failures, with our confessions, and our repentance. So they recognized the gift and the prophecy that Paul gave at that time concerning him. And he's telling them to stir that up, to remember your duty and what God's called you for. And so many of them, like I say, can be restored to God's will, but all gifts and ministries sometimes are not restored. That's God's business to what he does with that individual. So people can lose their ministries, their gifts, and their salvation. They don't stay with the Lord, and they're not careful. Uh I want to go back to James here. James 5 so that people who think they they sin, they do great things, and then they come back and they continue on as if nothing's happened. Well, if you don't have the Lord's approval, you're running in vain. He's not in it anymore. See, people have been given things from the Lord, and they failed or disobeyed, and then years later they want to do it again, and God's not in it anymore. See, he called somebody else. You missed the timing. And they said, well, God told me. Oh, yeah, but I don't apply no more because you failed. You forfeited. And you got to go back to God and find out what he will restore and what he will not or what the new vision is. See, you can't just hang on to something that doesn't apply anymore because people failed at it, okay? James 5, 19 and 20. Brethren, he's talking to the Christian. If any among you, this means babe, mature, Christian, anybody, any of your Christians in your fellowship, wanders from the truth. That means goes away from it. Maybe gets caught up in false teaching. Gets hooked on heresies, uh, other false doctrines. It means it goes away from the truth. And someone turns him back. One of you talk to him, and he's convicted and disturbed, and he sees the error of his ways, and he comes back. That's repentance, okay? Let him know, the person that's doing this, he who turns a sinner 
from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He's letting you know if that person wanders from the truth, it don't matter who he is. He's a sinner now. He's not a Christian. Christ has left him. The spirit of grace has departed. Uh That branch has been cut off and cast aside. Uh So much for the once saved, always saved. Uh So he's saying that they come back. Well, there's hope that most can come back unless they blaspheme the spirit. It appears that the deeper people go with the Lord and fall away, the very few of them come back. Many babes and novices and beginners float back and forth for a while, and God deals with them, and they come back later, and he restores them. So under the old and new, God gives hope for those who backslide. And fall. But backsliding, a lot of Christians think it means to go back a little bit. When he's talking about backsliding, he means they lose their salvation. They've wandered from the truth. They're no longer following the Lord. So they're not Christians anymore. And that's why Paul could say, if you practice all these sins I'm talking about, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven because you've gone back to the world, have refused to repent. And You're not saved anymore, and Christ is not in you. See, people don't like hearing that. So much for the once saved, always saved. So it doesn't matter if they're a babe or mature. If they backslide and fall away, they're no longer Christians. We're not talking about one sin. We're talking about continuance and gross sin or disobedience. In one of the churches, the Lord said something interesting. He said, repent quickly. God don't put up with people for years. That's not the patience of God. Those who give themselves back to the world, he said, repent quickly, lest I take your lampstand, like I take the candlestick, lest I remove it. He doesn't give them lots of time when they're in gross sin. He'll cut them off. The Father will cut them off. And that's why Paul could say, if you're practicing, that means now you've gone back into this way of living. He says, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven because you're not saved anymore. Very plain. A child can put that together if he wants to know the truth. Okay. So he calls them outright. He speaks to brethren, and then he calls that backslidden person wandering from the truth. He calls them a sinner. A Christian living in the Lord is never called a sinner, and he's not called a wicked person. He's a saint and a believer before the Lord, okay? And so that soul he's helped bring back, he's kept him from everlasting death, the second death, the lake of fire, and he's covered a multitude of sins. James was speaking mainly, they believe, to Jewish converts, and he uses the law and its principles more than anybody else does, okay? He was raised in it. And so he uses the word here, covers a multitude of sin. They understood under the law, the blood covered. Some think he should have used the clearer word, but he was talking to Jews, Christian. But now he cleanses. He doesn't just cover it over, he removes it. The blood of Christ cleanses the conscience from evil works. 
from a dead conscience, a flawed conscience, okay? And he says that he covers a multitude of sin. So it means all of the sins that he'd done while he wandered are being forgiven now. See, he was dead again. He crucified Christ afresh. And he was lucky, blessed, that God received him back. So it seems like most people that backslide, God invites them to come back. He chastens, he punishes, he can, he can do things. But he that is often reproved, often reproved, it means he's not listening, said he will be cut off and that without remedy. So it's a time that God's patience says this is enough. This person's crucified my son twice. He's had extra grace, and I'm not going to extend anymore. That's the privilege of God. Usually those that I've found of the years that I've counseled and talked with, those who are once real mature Christians, and they fall away, most of them do not come back. See, more is held accountable to them. They go deeper, and God holds them responsible for the gifts and the ministry, and the deeper knowledge that they had. doesn't say they can't come back. It just seems like it's more difficult. Babes and novices, like I say, they, things happen to them at many times. And God uh, brings affliction and punishment. And they miss the peace of God and the joy with Christ. And this often draws them back. We are not sinners saved by grace. This is false. We are saints in Christ. We were sinners, but we aren't. So people who glory in their sins, something wrong with them, okay? No Christian, again, is called a sinner or a wicked person. We may fall into a sinful deed, but we are not to continue. That's practicing. That's a habit. That's a lifestyle. Uh, one said, we, we have thoughts and deeds, and we yield to them. And then if we keep yielding, it becomes a habit. And that's still practicing. And so when the sin becomes a habit, you're already passing your salvation. And that habit becomes your character. It becomes who, what people know you for. So if you give yourself over alcohol, they say, oh, he's a drunk. That's what you're known for. He's a fornicator. He's a thief. And that character determines destiny, where you're going, okay? So when Paul named in Corinthians and other places, he named about 10 sins, and he said, don't no one deceive you. If you practice these things, you will not get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says immediately after, and such were some of you. Isn't that interesting? Past tense. He's saying, some of you Christians in the past, you lived that way. You were one of these type of people, a murderer, a fornicator, a adulterer, a liar. That was your lifestyle. But many do not uh, get into gross sin, but they're still sinners. Uh -huh. They sin against God by not yielding to him and not owing their love and duty to God. They want to find their own life. But outwardly, they're good citizens and moral people. You don't see no great wickedness, but God sees the wickedness. Okay. The five foolish virgins were Christians, and they didn't do no major sin that we can think of, what we call growth, 
But their major sin was they forgot the Lord and slept, means they ceased being spiritual, and the light left them. And when they come knocking, the Lord said to them, I don't know you. He didn't say, I never knew you, because he did know them. The masses of Christianity will say, I never knew you. But the five foolish virgins were once virgins. They were Christians. But once he shut the door, that was it. Because they forgot their duty was first to God. Okay? And people need to remember that. You may think you aren't doing a great gross sin, but if you're neglecting God, you've done a great gross sin and you're going to answer for it. So we have our duties to God. But he said, such were some of you, past tense. And then he says, but you were washed, past tense, were. You were sanctified, past tense, were. You were justified, past tense. All of those he uses were. He didn't say you're doing those things now. If you are, you're still in it. Uh So you're washed. The Holy Spirit removes the sin. Mm -hmm. You are sanctified, set apart now from the world and dedicated to Christ. That's what the sacrifices did in the Old Covenant. That's what happened when the people and the priests were sanctified. They were called out from the common people and then dedicate it to a special service. So that's what happens to the Christian. He's called out of the world into the family of God. And then you were justified. Made right just as if you never sinned, they say. You're in right standing spiritually with God. Because you continue in the Lord, and you stay with him, and you'll stay in that state. But if you go back, to the world, then you will not be his anymore, okay? 15, take pains with these things that he's just told them about, giving heed to the exhortation and teaching and so forth. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evidence to all. Your flock will see you are faithful to the Lord and his calling. You're exhorting and teaching his sound word because you labor in it. Uh 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So much for once saved, always saved, and eternal security. Timus being told, you do these things, you can ensure your salvation. Peter said, if you don't do those things, you will not be assured of an eternal destiny. So he's holding them more responsible to teach and persevere. And whatever you're teaching them, he's saying, be sure you're living it. You're an example for them. Watch your duty to God and the ministry. Make sure your teaching is God's word, not your own opinions and desires. Persevere in them. That means fight against all teachings that are contrary to sound teaching. We call it sound doctrine. Over and over I've said sound teaching, sound doctrine is that teaching that leads to holiness. So any teaching of the Bible 
doesn't lead to practical living before the Lord and purity and righteousness is foolish and vain. It produces nothing. So that's why I say if we study the word and study and get all of these knowledge and we're not obeying the Lord, it's foolishness because its intent is to keep you, exhort you to stay with the Lord and stay in his will and in his word. Let's stop here. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding. Remind us every day in this dark world of our duty to you and to you foremost. In Jesus' name, amen.